The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Welcome. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith, and you are listening to Come Back to Your Senses Radio on Voice America Variety and Project Freedom. If you'd like to send me a personal message or question, you can find me at comebacktoyoursenses.com, Facebook backslash comebacktoyoursenses, or email leah at comebacktoyoursenses.com. Today's topic is intimate. It's an intimate intimate reflections on healing. And I am pleased to be able to share things that I have learned from the process of my own personal healing and some reflections on the professional experiences in caring for others. And the path to personal and planetary transformation, it is a difficult climb, yet it's totally possible, one person at a time. And here's the good news. You and I are part of this extraordinary journey. With or without conscious intent, we are all in it together. Focusing on your innermost character strengths is a great formula to help nurture the character traits that are more difficult and often have you and me stumbling on the path. Being deliberate with your focus is so important. It's also helpful to helpful, very helpful for you to know and to remember that the essential guidance required for this journey is available in every moment. You and I need only ask, open, and proceed forward knowing that assemblies of unseen forces are always at work assisting us in every moment. I find that very exciting. So the challenges, the challenges were chosen on purpose with intelligence. That's right. You and I chose the challenges that we struggle with. That's why the cyclical nature of the challenges is so evident. Because we're dealing with challenges of a lifetime. Again, here's some good news. The solutions to these challenges are always present in every moment. And if you miss the opportunity to implement a solution in this moment, there's always the next, the next moment, 
and the next and the next. Through focus and the choices that you and I make, we have the opportunity to restore balance, to generate the right vibration based on what we want, and then to make healthy choices moment by moment. It's also worth mentioning that all of the people in your life, your family, your friends, your partners, your co-workers, yes, all of the people in your life are there to help you with challenges, with all the challenges that you chose to transform during your lifetime. And you are there in their life to help them transform what they have chosen to transform in their lifetime. Lately, I've been musing inside and thinking that I must need a lot of help because I have the help of nine siblings. And yes, I have nine siblings to help. And the good news is we are totally supported by guidance and opportunities for transformation are totally available in each and every moment. So as I mentioned in the write-up about this week's show, I've been privileged to tend to the garden of many people's hearts. Throughout my life, I've, I've really tried to find the blessings in human suffering and in the tragedies in my life and in the lives of those I'm close to and to assist the people who come to me for teaching and healing. I'm a firm supporter of the notion that a loving presence is often the best remedy for any of the challenges of daily life. As a young girl, I began learning the art of caring for others by caring for others, by being a good listener and by following my inner guidance. So for 40 years, I've been using my gifts and skills by providing formal and informal healing sessions. Some of the people that I care for have been restored to health. And with others, I've had the honor of sharing their last days or their last moments on the earth. These experiences are the most authenticity I've known in my life. I'm so pleased for this opportunity today to share with you some insights from this great journey some of the intimate reflections on healing in my personal life and in my professional life. In the late 80s, I had my first experience of caring for a friend that was infected with the HIV virus. He came to me for Reiki teaching and then over a period of months came for Reiki treatments. Through our conversations and treatments, we practice the art of sitting together in a place of no disease. It seemed essential somehow to view the HIV virus as just one of the many vibrations in his body. My friend reported that this new awareness helped him. It helped him to see himself and experience himself separate from the virus. In the late 80s, little was known about HIV and AIDS, and for the most part, it was considered a death sentence. And many of the people that were infected died from opportunistic infections that a suppressed immune system could not manage. 
time, those who did survive did not enjoy the quality of life and longevity that people infected with HIV and AIDS do in 2012. My friend also reported that through this shift in perception, he was no longer afraid. He was able to live his life without the previous cloud that always was hanging over him. The cloud of not only being infected with HIV, but also taking on the vibration of HIV, physically, mentally, and emotionally. My friend was no longer afraid of dying from HIV. He was also no longer afraid of living with HIV. He found a way to coexist with the virus in his body. He followed the care plan from his physician the way anyone would that's living with diabetes or high blood pressure. And he continued to fully participate in his life, pursuing his dreams and passions alongside his family and his friends and his community. The wisdom to sit together in a space of no disease and see disease as just one of the many vibrations in the body came to me from inner guidance. It came to me during the stillness and the silence of Reiki treatments. And I was open to listen to the inner promptings that came. This shift in perception turned out to be very potent and has served me and many others that I have partnered with through their healing process. Sitting in a space of no disease. In the early 90s, a woman that I had initiated into first degree Reiki started to come for weekly Reiki treatments. As we got to know each other, became aware that as a young child, as young children, actually, we both, we both endured similar experiences of abuse. What she was living inside of herself was very familiar to me, and I was grateful to be able to assist her with her recovery process. Often, I would treat her together with one of my students that was enrolled in my apprenticeship program. And on one afternoon in particular, during one of the joint treatment sessions, the woman was clearly experiencing emotional pain and was mildly squirming on the table. She would occasionally moan as she released the images that she was seeing and the pain that she was feeling. As her experience intensified, I noticed myself pleading inside for her to be released from her suffering. Still, no reprieve. The energy just continued to intensify. And as these cycles of intensity continued, I noticed myself becoming more and more agitated and pleading more and more inside. I have to admit, I was really grateful that my apprentice student was with me that day because this kind of agitation during treatment was not something I that I ever experienced before or have experienced ever experienced since. Eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore, and so I just quietly excused myself. I went upstairs, walked into the bathroom, got down on my knees, 
and in my best pleading voice ever, called out loud, do something. Can't you see that she is suffering? In an instant, the whole experience became very clear to me. I recognized that I was the one that was suffering, that my internal frame of reference was tuned towards suffering, that year after year, I was expanding my capacity to absorb the suffering of my life and the lives of those that I was close with and those who came into my classroom for teaching and lay on my treatment table for healing. I was completely and utterly dumbfounded. It was a real shock. But once I recognized what was really going on, I vowed to release myself from my prior devotion to suffering and declared no more suffering. With the new resolve tucked into my being, it took only a short time for me to come back to my senses and return to the treatment table and continue with the treatment. When I re-entered the treatment space, I noticed that not only had I settled down, so had the woman on the table. After her treatment, she shared about her experience, reporting that the energy and the images that had been trapped inside of her since her childhood had come flooding to the surface. She was able to allow the movement of the energy out of her and was grateful for the release, grateful for the support of two people there with her and the relief and renewed sense of freedom. After that treatment and in the subsequent months, I found myself releasing more physical holding in my body and going into a deeper experience of my own recovery. I've noticed in myself and in many other people that I've cared for, that trauma is often stored in layers within the body memory, the mind, the emotions, and also in the energy fields around the body. During that time, it occurred to me that pursuing the path of recovery from abuse would certainly be a life well spent. This was a tremendous relief, as I had previously thought that I would never recover from the early childhood trauma of abuse. Through this experience, I learned that the cycles of recovery are not timed. There's no schedule and there's certainly no roadmap. The body, mind and emotions simply reveal and heal when the timing is right, when the timing is right on the inner and the environmental conditions in the outer are conducive for healing. Often, the best thing that we can do around the treatment table is to create that right environment for healing on the inner and on the outer. I've trained many people in Reiki, in bone medicine, and in other energy-based healing practices, 
And some people are very intuitive and sense where to go in the body. They may hear things or feel things. Some people see things, sensing where the imbalances are. And some of the other students, they just don't have these types of perceptions. Whichever reality is true for each individual, experience and time have taught me that energy, that energy is the healer. The movement of the energy through the individual doing the treatment creates the opportunity for the healing energy to connect, to connect with and to flow into the individual on the table. The important place to focus is on the stillness. The deeper into the stillness you go, the more open you are as a channel for the movement of the healing energy through you. The sensations that you feel, the things that you sense, this is not the healing. This is the byproduct of the healing. The healing is occurring on a cellular level, a life force energy doing a dance within the individual, tuning the vibrations in the body back to a state of clarity and balance. It's in the stillness. The deeper you go into the stillness, the more open you are as a channel for the movement of the energy through you. At a lecture in Berkeley, California, Dr. Bernie Siegel was sharing with those who gathered about his experience of caring for people who are dying. He witnessed many things while holding the hands of dying patients. While watching the wasting away of the human form, he said, before the time of death, I feel as if I am sitting with a great saint. For some, spiritual healing comes through the path of terminal illness. Terminal illness is a spiritual path. Dr. Bernie Siegel witnessed metamorphosis occurring for the dying patients that he befriended. And as they found their way to accept their circumstances and yield to their journey of dying, he watched the spirit of many people rise to the surface of their being and greet him in a place of love and acceptance for their circumstances. Many years ago, I had the privilege of caring for a dear friend who was a yoga instructor. She chose a path of conscious dying in response to the terminal cancer that was growing in her belly. She gathered a group of friends together from her healing community because she wanted and needed support and because she was very clear that she didn't want to die alone. The circumstances within this situation are a real hallmark for me. As soon as I heard that this individual was sick, 
I immediately responded to her call for help. From the gentle whispers of spirit, it felt as if I could remember agreeing to care for her, as if we'd made a contract. We spoke about this, and as I recall telling her that we were doing our part exactly the way that it had been prescribed, exactly the way that we had chosen. She was the person with the rare cancer in her belly. I was the person that would come and give her a Reiki treatment every Tuesday at 4.30. Her partner was the person who would lovingly care for her through the process. And one of her friends was the person who would prepare the meals for her and so on with all the people that were part of the community. I shared all of this with my friend as if I was reading the instructions off of a contract that we had all agreed to. When I first began giving my friend Reiki treatments, I shared with her the above thoughts of Dr. Bernie Siegel and what he had experienced while caring for people that were dying. When my friend heard this, she looked at me in total disbelief. During our Reiki time on Tuesdays, we would, we would go very deeply into meditation together while we were sharing the treatment, and we were opening to the flow of the divine through us, being nurtured, feeling the experience. Some days my friend would be filled with questions and we would talk while I did the treatment. Other days, perfect silence we barely shared a word. I witnessed my friend create a mandala for her healing into, into death. At times she would be tired and far away for days at a time and no one knew when or if she would again become present in the outer world. Then, without a moment's notice, she'd be back again, very much alive, and sharing and living her life from her bed in the back room. I recall one day in particular, going in for our treatment, and she was in a cranky mood. As I walked into the room, she abruptly announced that she was in a bad mood, and she would very much appreciate it if I didn't try to cheer her up. Of course, I complied with her wishes and found that by accepting her mood, by not trying to cheer her up and just listening to her complaints, her mood shifted all on its own. She was struggling in herself, asking herself why she should continue to take her supplements and her medication and do her exercise. She was uh, sporting a what's-the-use attitude, reporting to me, I'm going to die whether I do these things or not. There were other things as well that she was struggling with. And we talked about the mind and the ego and how her ego mind would not let her accept that she was dying. Because that would mean the annihilation of the ego, which of course 
the ego would never align with. Never, ever align with. Still, my friend was determined to go through the process in a conscious way. And talking about the things that she was struggling with was a way that she could, she could remain actively open and free-flowing in her process. Sometimes she would ask me a question that my mind just did not have an answer for. During those times, I would go very still and open within myself to receive an answer on her behalf. It turns out that this was a very effective approach. An answer that was meaningful to her always came through me. Ten months later, the eve of her death, just happened to be on a Tuesday. And there I was at 4 p.m. as usual, ready for our Reiki time together. It was nice to see my friend sitting up in her bed one last time, enjoying her conversations with myself and her partner. As she had been very low and very far away and very withdrawn for some time, once again, I related Dr. Bernie Siegel's story and his feeling that before the time of death, I feel as if I am sitting with a great saint. After living the process of preparing for her own dying, my friend understood the wisdom of the story she had experienced this same metamorphosis. She found her ultimate yoga posture. She lay her body down into her death. And for her, this process became her spiritual path of love and acceptance. Through my experiences as a Reiki master, I've been blessed with the opportunity to partner with many people who have died from terminal illness. Some of them were friends, some of them were family members. Many of the folks who I cared for have reported that they're grateful for their disease. Imagine, grateful for their disease. Their gratitude comes from the many blessings and opportunities for healing that they experienced as a result of learning to cohabit with the terminal illness. Many report having been healed even as the disease process took over their body and their vital life energy. About 15 years ago, my father was gravely ill. He had suffered from a stroke and a heart attack. And initially, it wasn't clear if he would survive or recover. For days on end, it seemed. My family and I huddled together outside the ICU, 
Naturally, everyone was going through indescribable waves of emotional reactions and responses. Everyone was raw and on edge, which made it difficult to offer or receive comfort and or to console one another. Admittedly, I was not optimistic. I had a single-mindedness of focus. I wanted my father to experience peace. And in my limited perception at the time, I saw that my father had struggled one way or another all of his life. And all I wanted was that he should know peace. And how I was limited was that it was unimaginable to me that my father would ever be able to find peace while he was still living. For many days, his life seemed to hang in the balance. And when he did recover consciousness, it took more days until he regained his senses and full recognition of all of his family members and his surroundings. When it was clear that my father would in fact survive, he was moved to rehab, to the rehab center so that he could recover. That fall, during the high holidays, my father was able to come and join the family to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. In fact, Jewish holidays were the favorite days of life for my father or any occasion when he could get together with his family. I hadn't seen my father for a couple of months. At that time, even before he became gravely ill, we were struggling in our relationship. The lines of communication between us were not very free flowing. And as I look back with today's perspective, it seems that we just couldn't understand each other's sensibilities. I couldn't understand what made him tick and he certainly couldn't understand what made me tick. Earlier that day, before the family dinner, I noticed that I was a bit unsettled. I was nervous about seeing my father not knowing what stage he would be in his recovery and how we would be with each other. I don't recall exactly how I required the two tangerines that were tucked away in my pocket, but earlier, earlier that day, I saw a bowl of fruit somewhere and I heard something inside of me encouraging me to tuck the fruit into my pocket. After dinner, while everyone was sitting around schmoozing, I noticed that my father was finally sitting alone. I slowly approached him and gingerly sat down beside him, nervous in my shoes. I pulled a tangerine out of my pocket and offered it to my dad. His eyes lit up as he took the tangerine from me and started to peel it. 
as he was peeling it, he told me that at rehab, he used to peel tangerines as an exercise for recovering the dexterity in his left hand. Well, as you can imagine, now my eyes lit up. So grateful that I had followed the intuition from earlier in the day and tucked the beautiful orange fruit into my pocket. The tangerine worked like a bridge for us. And what followed was a precious heart to heart. Precious heart to heart. Just what we're all looking for. I told my father how proud I was of him for the hard work that he had done and for all that he was able to accomplish at rehab. He responded by saying, what choice did I have? I wasn't willing to be an invalid for the rest of my life. As we talked more and he shared more about his rehab experience, I pulled the second tangerine out of my pocket once again offering it to my dad. I told him my truth about those days when he was first in the ICU and my prayer for him to experience peace. I told him that I never imagined that he would know peace while he was still alive. Yet somehow through our conversation, I was awestruck. I was awestruck because I realized that my prayer was indeed answered, and so were the prayers of my family members. My father had found peace. It came to him from his gratitude for being alive. His gratitude for having the opportunity to work hard at rehab so he could come home and continue to be with his family. The prayers of my family members were also answered. All that my family wanted was my father to be alive so that he can enjoy many more years, many more years with his family. Everyone's prayers were answered and through the love and devotion and care of his wife, my father lived another 11 years. He was not an invalid and was able to attend many more family celebrations, Jewish holidays, the marriages of more of his children. He enjoyed being part of the birth of more grandchildren and even became a great grandfather. There's no doubt in my mind, for my family and my dad, his recovery was a modern day miracle. I'm going to read you a little quote from Joseph Campbell. He says, there are no guarantees in life, except that everyone faces struggles. It's how we learn. Some face struggle from the moment they are born. They are the most special of all people, requiring the most care and compassion and reminding us that love is the sole purpose of life. There's an ideology about healing that suggests that healing's about getting rid of things and solving things and fixing things. 
But Reiki's taught me that we begin to heal when we allow things to be exactly the way they are. When there's pain, that's an indication that an aspect of ourselves is hurting and requires our care. When we understand that pain's a gift, then when we are hurting, it becomes more possible to find ways to be more accepting and compassionate towards ourselves. When we accept things the way that they are with no resistance, we're creating that perfect internal atmosphere in which healing occurs. And a natural outcome of acceptance is release. Unconditional love is easy in theory, yet can be challenging in practice. You know, as a mental exercise, it's easy enough to think that unconditional love means to love without any conditions. To love unconditionally is to love under all conditions. Love is unconditional when it's given freely and not dependent on the circumstances, the outcome, or even what, what one might receive in return. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's known as the grandmother of compassionate care for the dying, said, the only thing I know that heals people is unconditional love. Now, there certainly are some conditions in life that can be difficult to embrace. For some, it's a huge challenge to love someone that's disfigured as with tumors or severe damage through accident or injury. Others, others feel challenged when people are born with developmental deformities. And as well, it can be challenging to love unconditionally when the choices of other people go against our personal ethics or values or religious beliefs or gender preferences or differences in social status or education. Many years ago, my son suffered extreme injury from an encounter that he had with two large dogs in the yard. While caring for him during his convalescence, I was blessed with the grace of unconditional love. Each day my son asked me to kiss his wounds and blow on them as he found this action very soothing. Each day I brought my face up to his wounds. I felt guided to recognize that I could love his body whole to love his flesh whole by approaching both his healthy flesh and his wounds as precious with no difference. While I was kissing his wounds and gently blowing on his wounds, I was opening the connecting points, creating the path for the restorative powers of love. The flesh is precious. I was called to care for a man that was dying of throat cancer. He had many large tumors that left him quite disfigured. And when I first went to his home, I wasn't aware that, I really wasn't aware of his physical condition. 
And then after I recovered from the initial impact of seeing his tumors, I felt at ease and a beautiful softening came in my heart. Within a few minutes, I found such beauty and grace in this man. I was able to embrace the tumors and enter a deep place of love and relaxation with him. He was always so grateful for the care that I gave him and the authenticity of love and acceptance that was flowing between us. We shared that feeling so easily. There is a beauty in being authentic that acknowledges the presence of grace. And this guides us on the journey of allowing unconditional love to show us the divine in all things. These experiences encourage us to greet one another, knowing that they are indeed a personification of the beloved. You and I and everyone we know, all the people we don't know also, we're all created by and from the same great source of creation. It's been an incredible journey in my life to recognize that love is the healer, regardless of the circumstances. I know within myself that when I am inflexible, when I'm demanding or when I'm harsh, that I'm inhibiting the flow of love through me. And underneath whatever story that I'm telling in my mind, there's a judgment either towards myself or towards another human being. When I make unhealthy choices, I'm inhibiting the flow of self-love and self-care. It's also helpful to acknowledge that I've come here to the earth to balance out these energies. You have come to the earth to balance out these energies. And we've come here, we've come here together to help each other with this process. In the early years of apprenticing with my Reiki master, we did a lot of treatments together and I loved it. She'd start at the head and I'd start at the feet and we would meet somewhere in the middle. People came for treatment for a variety of reasons, because of burnout, injuries, diabetes, cancer, emotional trauma, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, mental anguish, insomnia, the list goes on and on. And after I gained some experience in treating, I realized that regardless of the ailment or the reason that someone had come for treatment, there was this certain theme that I was picking up from everyone that I treated. The body wanted to be loved and cared for in a tender and compassionate way. The underlying message was that everyone was starving for love. And as I see it from today's perspective, people are also longing for deep states of relaxation. People are looking for ways to turn off the mind, turn off the responsibilities, and turn off the need to be doing something all the time. This reminds me of one of my siblings as a child and a young adult, he was always moving. He could never sit still. He was always pacing or creating his own special brand of mischief. If he had to sit still, 
he would be tapping out rhythms on the table or bouncing his leg up and down or fiddling with something in his hands. Nowadays, I'm so impressed with him. Whenever he gets the chance, he's taking a few moments here and there just to sit down, relax, and take five. He's definitely learned how to release himself from that go, go, go syndrome that you and I can so easily get caught up in. When I was younger, I had the idea in my mind that taking care of others would take care of me. And on one level, I suppose that was true, as caring for others, well, it did take care of that essential need to feel that I'm making a difference in the world. All people have this intrinsic need to feel as if their life matters and that they're making a contribution. After many years of working in private practice full-time in my home as a Reiki master, I returned to the field of providing services to people with developmental disabilities. Along the theme of the need to make a contribution, I remember hearing those very words from a group of adults with developmental disabilities that I was providing programming for. The individuals were expressing their need to make a difference in the world. They recognized how much they'd received from others, how they were contributed to by members of their community, and they wanted to give back to the community. They wanted an opportunity to serve others. But through staff support, they found ways to do this by volunteering at senior care facilities, at a daycare, at the food bank, in office buildings, at a cafe, in a pet store, just to give a few examples. Additionally, as a choir, they began visiting long-term care facilities in the city, sharing their hearts and souls through the songs that they were singing. And through that act of sharing, they were helping to improve the quality of life for the seniors in the seniors' homes. Now, they have more of a sense of being equal members of the community, giving and receiving in a more balanced way. I used to have big ideas about making a huge contribution in the world, taking some big action that was going to influence the lives of so many people in a positive and transforming way. I know you can relate to what I'm saying. I used to be fired up with idealism about the importance of saving the world and healing the planet with some grand action through long days and long nights of service. Then, through my experience of providing life skills support to one man, I finally recognized that service is not necessarily, not necessarily about grandiose gestures. It became clear to me that through the act of helping to improve the quality of life for one man, to make a huge difference in one man's life makes a huge difference in the world. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone about that difference between service and servitude. It's certainly something that I've had a lot of experience with, and here's a story that gives the example of it. 
I had the occasion to treat a woman who was diagnosed with endometriosis and a tumor on one of her ovaries. And when she first came to me, she was exhausted. Her body and her vitalite energy were obviously quite, quite depleted. She was determined to find ways to bring her body back into balance. She was earnest about her recovery, and so was I. From the very first treatment, I spoke with her about the importance of recognizing that we were entering into a partnership where I was going to support her with her healing. The plan was for her to come once a week for an hour-long Reiki session. I went on to explain that one hour a week that she was on my table was about zero, zero point nothing compared to the number of hours in a week. Clearly, if she was serious about her healing, she would have to focus on her wellness during the hours in the week when she wasn't receiving her weekly treatment. It was sinking in that she needed to shift her priorities and put herself at the center of her own life. She recognized what was contributing to her feeling of burnout. She was busy caring for her children, looking after her work responsibilities, her connection to her other family members, her friends, her community. And through all of this, she was no longer connected to her own care and her own well-being. I gave her a couple of little rose quartz gemstones to place on her body in the evening and encouraged her to do a creative visualization process of picturing the tumor shrinking and the congestion in the cells from the endometriosis clearing up. The woman went home and she just changed her lifestyle. She began focusing on herself, making good food choices, incorporating relaxation techniques into her daily life, and doing, doing creative visualization at night and envisioning herself as healthy and strong and vibrant. She became more discerning about how she spent her time and her energy and she began practicing the art of saying no, that she wasn't available. After a few weeks, the woman was obviously headed in the right direction. She became stronger, healthier, and wiser about the need for self-care. I don't recall how much time had passed between her first Reiki session and her next doctor's appointment. But sure enough, her shift in focus, putting herself in the center of her life and focusing on her own self-care and coming for weekly Reiki treatments paid off because she did receive a clean bill of health from her doctor. I'm sharing this story with you with a purpose in mind. I know that you can relate to this story from your own personal experience, and trust me, not only can I write 
relate to this story. If you asked me, I could write a book about it. This can be a strong and challenging pattern to change. Servitude is not service. You know the pattern. If I were to draw a cartoon of the scenario, well, you might see a chicken running around with its head cut off, serving someone here and then running to serve others there and or constantly looking for ways to be of service, all the while not recognizing that they are the ones in need of care. So often I have found this same pattern with people that have come to me for treatment, exhausted and very, very low vital life energy. More times than not, with some kind of medical diagnosis that developed over time because the individual did not seek help for the exhaustion and just kept going and going and serving and caring for others and not caring for themselves until they just had nothing left to give. I had my own experience of this in 2005. While working more than full-time hours, serving people with developmental and other disabilities, I literally came home at night, made my famous 15-minute stir-fry, gobbled up my vegetables, and flopped on my bed totally exhausted and praying that I would have enough energy to get up in the morning and do it all over again. Eventually, I woke up one morning and my back had seized up in the night. I was forced to take a leave of absence in order to recover. I was forced, forced to put myself in the center of my life and focus on self-care to recover from my back injury and recover my vital life energy. I came to realize that instead of spending my time in the evening and on the weekend recovering from work, I needed to make it my business to have as much fun as possible when I wasn't working. I learned to treat the weekends as holiday time and up the ante on my enjoyment in life. I am sharing this story with you in order to emphasize the difference between service and servitude. I know that you work overtime without getting paid. I know that you take work home thinking that you can get caught up. I know that you forfeit your time with your family to spend time with special work events. And I know this because I've done the same things. As a manager, it was so helpful for me when I finally learned that I would never get caught up. As quickly as I finished a pile of tasks, there was another pile of tasks accumulating on the other side of my desk. In servitude, we sacrifice ourselves in the name of serving others. In true service, we're mindful of maintaining our balance. The equation of giving and receiving remains intact. 
servitude leads to burnout. And you forget to include yourself in the equation. There is certainly no wisdom in serving others at the inclusion exclusion of serving yourself. Servitude leads to burnout. Service leads to balance and the joy of giving and receiving. It's very timely in my life to be revisiting this conversation. And I trust that it's timely in your life also. I'll make the necessary adjustments at my end to bring things into balance, and I encourage you to do the same. We certainly shared a lot of information, a lot of intimate stories of healing, and I really appreciate you tuning in and listening, joining the conversation. And as I said previously, if you want to share something with me or ask me a question, send me an email, go to my website. I thank you for tuning in and listening. I'm your ever grateful host, Leah Brenda Smith. You've been listening to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. I look forward to sharing another conversation with you next week. And in the meantime, I encourage all of us, get in the service mood and find ways, find ways to relax and enjoy life. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week.